you are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives. Questions like, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey today, we're very honoured to be joined by Ned Wolpen, one of the tutors at St. John's College here in Santa Fe. Ned, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So um, what subjects do you teach at St. John's? Well, my background is in political philosophy, but at St. John's College, and many of your listeners may know this, uh, we study the uh, great books of Western civilization in philosophy, literature, science, mathematics, and music, and all the students have to take the entire program, and all the faculty teach the entire program. That sounds wonderful. Yes. <laughs> and, and you wrote a, a thesis on Nietzsche. Is I that correct? did, yes. Why, why Nietzsche? That's a great question. Uh, I, I was always torn between philosophy and literature, and, um, and Nietzsche is a place, is a, is a thinker who takes seriously both questions of philosophy and the role of literature and how to think literarily about the world. Nice. So Nietzsche's most famous um, thing, for, for those of us like myself who don't know much Nietzsche, his most famous statement probably is that God is dead. Yes. What did Nietzsche mean by that? Well, the first thing he, he didn't mean was that there is no such thing. There was no such thing as God. Um, he's not. He was not claiming to be an atheist and making an argument about atheism. He was actually making a claim that God, that once existed, was dead, or is dead, and and he has a long argument about that. Uh, that uh, in a certain sense uh, summarizes what he thinks is the entirety of Western civilization, uh, and and maybe the way to think about that is to is to go back to the earliest days of humanity, mm-hmm. and to imagine that there is um, a master mm-hmm. and a slave, mm-hmm. and the master actually um, declares that he is good, and that by extension the slave is bad. And by so doing, the master sets up a whole world in which there is an order of things. And the slave is forced to be in that world. And you can actually, in a certain sense, if you think about the history of Western civilization, you can imagine perhaps um, that the the Roman Empire is a culmination of a kind of master morality, a a way for masters to oversee the world and to control the world. And maybe Caesar is the culmination of all that. And in some sense, everyone else in the whole world is actually a slave to him. But and, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm wondering, you said the master is good and the slave is bad. But is it a value judgment? Is it not the master has power and the slave has no power? Absolutely. The, the interesting thing is that, um, and I think we can imagine this in the raw sense of master and slave, that, that he or she who has power also gets to say what is good and what is bad. So that in a certain sense, valuations, evaluations of the world come through those perspectives. So then when Nietzsche is saying, said that God is dead, what he's saying is authority, religious authority is dead? Well, so here's where it gets interesting. And and, and, and by way of this, what's what's really interesting that Nietzsche points out is that uh, the master morality forces the slaves to come up with their own way of judging themselves not simply as bad. 
And so what they do is they say, well, I am good. I, the slave, am good. You, master, are evil. And my goodness won't be manifested in the world because my life is terrible. But where it will be, t- um, where it will be verified or, or borne out will be in the afterlife. And so the way for slaves to feel good about themselves was to come up with a different valuation system to combat their current experience in the world. And one might say, in as much as Caesar, let's say, was the culmination of the master morality, mm-hmm. um, what Nietzsche argues, in fact, is that Christianity is the attempt to envision a way of understanding the world such that the slaves are actually the good. And by so doing, and, and you can imagine the, the long history of Roman history includes mm-hmm. ultimately Caesar becoming a Christian. Right. And so at that moment, slave morality, slave religion becomes predominant. And what Nietzsche argues, this is Nietzsche, not necessarily me, right. Nietzsche, and what Nietzsche argues is that the, West, the rest of Western civilization is the playing out of the triumph of slave morality understood most explicitly as Christian, um, both underst- religion and, 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 and ethics, um, and that ultimately what happened, and this is a long history, needless to say, from the time of Christ onward, is that ultimately uh, slave morality, in essence, undermines our ability to believe in God. Now, that's not to say that there aren't plenty of people around who believe both in a Christian God or other gods. Right. And as an individual decision, Nietzsche wouldn't be surprised by that at all. But what he is saying, and this is the part that we actually might be able to sort of perceive, is that in the modern world, we are not looking at everything through the lens of a Christian God, that that's actually not what organizes us anymore. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, very often people draw a distinction, you know, I as a rabbi and I read Torah and and um, there is a theology, a very complex theology, which is often really simplified in a very dramatic way and a troubling way to, you know, the God of the Bible is a, a vengeful God right. or an angry God. And, right. But the Christian God is forgiving and love. And, right. and that sounds similar to what you're saying, but that's not borne out in my reading of, of the Hebrew Bible or, right. or what some people would call the Old Testament. Right. So is that – is what Nietzsche is saying, is that coming from a particularly – Christian perspective? Well, so it's certainly he, – he's very clear that he's talking about Christianity and then by extension, Enlightenment philosophy and democratic politics. He, he actually thinks very differently about, um, about uh, Jews in general. He actually uh, thinks that they are in fact um, a, a race that is not born of the manifestation of slave morality. Um, it's precisely that, that, um, that Christianity – according to Nietzsche, is one in which it's um, the attempt by those who are slaves to feel good about themselves that this is generated. So, uh, so he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be saying that, there's no, that people don't have gods. Right. He, he, is, he is literally saying that in, as the, what do you want to say, the motive force for Western civilization, the existence of God is no longer dominant. And I- for me, I, I'm intrigued by this particularly because of the the notion of freedom and liberation mm-hmm. being the underlying factor in our right. in our civilization's growth. 
And in some sense, I see that, but it's so tortuously slow. Right. And there is so much th- that even since Nietzsche, that I think, you know, you look in general society today and you, and you see the power disparities. That's right. And, and ask, is, is, that, is what he's looking at a very hopeful ideal of humanity or is it a long view that some of us may not have? Well, he, he – yeah, right. He, he. I think ultimately, I, I would argue that Nietzsche is ultimately an optimist. A kind of he. I, I actually think that he may be of all Western philosophers the most life affirming. But it's a complicated and uh, long vision. Um, I think he would look upon where we are at, um, culturally, uh, economically, politically, as actually the manifestation of of a kind of crisis, that we are actually in a place where all we're interested, for example, is material goods, where our culture is obsessed with um, displays of the self um, that are utterly bound up with a kind of pathological narcissism, that, um, that, we w- that our goal in life mainly is to ha- sleep well at night. Right. And and that is actually for him a symptom of of exactly the crisis he is seeing. So when he when he comes into the you know room and proclaims God is dead, he doesn't think there's going to be an immediate transformation to a new order. He actually thinks of himself, and he actually in one of his books has this image of a person walking into a town square at noon with a lamp, right, right. saying God is dead, and everyone else is saying no, it's perfectly sunny out. It, which is to say, they don't see a crisis. But don't don't so many people in the world today recognize a crisis, but feel a crisis of identity, a mm-hmm. crisis of being, a crisis of community, and they sense it, and in fact are returning to communities. Yes. And and indeed, um, in some religious communities, are returning to quite a fundamentalist right. perspective, which right. which goes back to that authoritarian master slave perception of you tell me how to interpret this because i'm lost right. uh, i'm i'm lost in the world i don't know my meaning give me certainty right so doesn't that counterbalance what he's saying in that in that moment of crisis in fact people often not always but people often return to that slave mentality if you i'm and i i I'm, I'm nervous to call it slave mentality because right. i don't think that you know that um uh, religious Search is necessarily in any way a slavish. A sla- slavish, right? But at the same time, in terms of authority, and I, I understand the attractiveness of it. Yeah. So I think, in fact, Nietzsche predicted that most people would, in fact, double down, as it were, on the kinds of comforts that would make them feel more secure without um, an attempt to understand that the that the order itself is dying. So that we have a situation where. I mean, I guess one way to put it would be where our main impulse in, let's say, modern Western civilization is a kind of hedonism, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are, are repelled by that and return to a kind of fundamentalism or other kind of uh, communities as a way to combat that for themselves. I think what Nietzsche is making is a, is a more, dare I say, aggregate argument or mm-hmm. holistic argument. Um, that in the that those people who are making those turns to let's say fundamentalism are not as it were changing the motive the current motive force of the world they're as it were solving it maybe for themselves individually right. they're not as it were creating a new order for everyone on, under which we would flourish 
And, and is let's I'll just ask one more question before we go to a break. Is this perspective of Nietzsche, I mean, you've mentioned a number of times about how it reflects on Western society, but it's not, it doesn't sound like a global perspective uh, or a global theological perspective because many of differing religious traditions aren't authoritarian in their theology. Um, in fact, even not necessarily have theology per se, but ethics. And so... Is Nietzsche aware of them? Is he speaking of them as well? Is, or is he expecting that mentality of liberation to spread everywhere? Well, so Nietzsche's interest. Nietzsche's deeply familiar with Eastern religions, um, uh, in particular Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, and, and argues various points relating to them. I, his larger point, which has to do with his, his pot potential solution to this crisis, is one that I think he thinks can be global, although, again, it's really crucial for him that, that, that civilization, at least a civilization, be formed in a healthy and life-affirming way. So uh, this is wonderful. We're going to carry on. We're going to just take a pause at the moment, and we'll be back uh, shortly. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich and with my guest, Ned Wolpin from St. John's College. So we're back with uh, Soul Searching on KSFR. My name is Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. With me is my guest, Ned Wolpin, one of the tutors at St. John's College. And we're discussing Nietzsche and this uh, extraordinary idea that God is dead um, and uh, the, uh, how, how society has developed from that. Uh, and I guess for me, one of the next questions is about authority. Um, where does authority come from in society where in the past... Uh, we have um, sought to or people sought particularly religious leaders to tell them what to do and how to behave. Where did Nietzsche see authority coming from in the society where there isn't that or that structure? Yeah. So Nietzsche, Nietzsche's fundamental argument about how and, and really which underlines both his understanding of old cultures as well as contemporary cultures is tied to his concept of the will to power. And the will to power is a – it's a complicated subject, but suffice it to say he thinks it's the force that underlies all ex living, whether human, animal, uh, plants, anything. That is to say a force to um, – a force of growth, a kind of energy, a life energy of growth. And that can take many forms. So just the fact that, for example, you have a crack in your sidewalk in, in, the, in your front yard or your path from your house, um, and there's a weed growing through it, that, Nietzsche would argue, is a will to power. Um, that certain plants uh, uh, climb up as vines above a tree and smother it so that it can have a, it can have a place to grow, uh, put out a flower – that's the will to power. Likewise, human beings of all different types have will to powers um, that motivate and animate them. And it's not something that's simply a rational concept. It's actually a kind of life energy. And so one can imagine in, uh, in uh, the master-slave uh, dynamic that we mentioned earlier, the master is manifesting a kind of will to power. Um, over that slave. The, you, but what, what is also important to know is that Nietzsche wants to say that slave is also manifesting 
will to power. And in fact, he wants to argue that slave morality is a manifestation of the will to power just as much um, as the manifest as the the master's manifestation. Now he would also argue Nietzsche that is that that the slave morality is not life affirming in the same way the master morality is. So the key right. is to actually come up with a morality that is life affirming, and that's what that's the transition he wants to. Now there are some political potential issues there, right? Because he would say that modern democratic life is a fulfillment of slave will to power, mm-hmm. a, a, a will to power that, um, that attempts to destroy any kind of um, uh, differentiation among human beings, a, a morality that wants to keep people down, um, a morality that um, doesn't allow for human flourishing in any, in any sense that he believes. Uh, and so the alternative that he wants to promote is a, is a will to power and maybe and this is this gets into complicated terrain, um, a political system in which uh, nobility of a, of a deep sort is valued. The, for me, hearing you say nobility is really challenging because I, I can't help but think of the weed or, or the, the plant that you said that grows over the other one. Yeah, by the way, I didn't invent that. Need no, to no, use no, that. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, the... the, the the species that will live off another and kill the other in order to grow, that kind of morality seems utterly the opposite of nobility, and it seems totally selfish. Yes. So it's it's challenging for me because the will to power sounds like the will to for yourself to survive. Right. And then what basis is that for building a society? So a couple of things. One it's 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 not necessarily the will to survive because it may actually by killing the other tree you may actually be killing yourself um so it's the will to to flourish and to achieve the greatness that is within you it might you, you might put it in those terms um but but i think his more full version of it um is is that this this flourishing this human flourishing can actually have any number of different outlets and that one version of it. They may all be competing with each other for preeminence, but that the flourishing of all these different impulses um, in us is actually life-affirming, and that that's the kind of plurality that he might envision. So life-affirming isn't necessarily for the individual, but can be for a larger community? Yeah, there's an, am- there's an ambiguity. There, there is individual flourishing, mm-hmm. but there is also a sense that in some sense we are subordinated to the larger flourishing of culture. Is it possible in Nietzsche's eyes for, for individuals and communities to flourish while still maintaining some sense of authority? Yeah, so so one thing about the the will to power in some sense is that the the greatest forms of will to power wouldn't just be self-expression without attempting to convince anyone else of it. It would actually that we would actually as in in as willing beings want to convince at least others of our truths. And so in so doing the greatest will to power would be the will to power that actually convinced everyone. Um, and so society that was organized around a goal, let's put it that way, would in fact be a society that actually has a deep authority mm. and, that these, and that the society would be organized to promote and to enable that goal to be manifested. 
So it would be it would be goal oriented authority, not authority that then justifies itself through its own spoken goals. Absolutely right. It's it's fascinating for me because hearing this idea of the will to power, um, I, I can't help but be reminded of Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, who talks of God being the process that makes for salvation, a sort of transnatural God, mm-hmm. not a supernatural God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can understand that um, many individuals in our society, in our world, are, are moving away from the concept of a supernatural God. But will to power almost sounds like transnatural um, theology to mm-hmm. me. Um, is there a is there a sense of, of of the religious of something mystical in will to power? Yes and no. I mean, in one hand, Nietzsche wants to say this is the truth that I find unavoidable. Does it convince you? If not, then that's that's important. Um, or can you find a way around this truth? And if there is no way around it, then it's compelling. Having said that, there is a background. Um, a kind of religious background that I think is important to bring out, um, although we can only sort of touch on it, which is um, that Nietzsche was, um, one might say, a disciple of Dionysus. That is to say, the Greek god mm-hmm. we know more of as Bacchus, but and Bacchus, of course, is about wine, and that's true. But the fundamental aspect of Dionysus and why he thinks that this is the life force that underlines all things is that uh, is that it is a god that both creates and destroys. It is the chaos of existence, and our envisioning of it is in fact organizing existence, so it's organizing chaos, and that that's a kind of fundamental dynamic that all of our individual willing to power Mm. enables us to manifest on the world. So do I want to call that mystical? I don't know. Uh, it's, um, It's a pretty powerful understanding of the of the fundamental nature of being. I, it's interesting when you talk about chaos. As soon as you do, it makes me think biblically again as a rabbi um, of the of the transition from chaos to order. Yes, and that does sound in part like what you've been saying um, of the um, of as God is dead. The the idea of of us gaining our own order over over an authoritarian order, a mm. sort of chaotic order, as it were. Is that? Well, the way I would put it is, could, could we, in Nietzsche's eyes, replace the Christian God with Dionysus? Mm. That is to say, to have an order that allows for the flourishing and the recognition of chaos and creativity that is always going to be undermined, but forced anew and created anew. Um, I guess maybe one way to think about it is maybe the book of Job. Right. Um, Job, it seems to me, thinks that God is a moral God and learns ultimately and then feels that God was being unjust mm. for this. We, I, this is go, on, a, go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, th- that, um, that God must be unjust because he did not do anything wrong. And what God ultimately says, I am that which is. I have created all this. Can you imagine? You can't conceive right. of the world when it was created, which is to say, I take it, um, or at least in my reading of it, that um, that God is not simply a God of good and, and evil. He actually is that which is beyond that. And we end up, like Job, hopefully, going back and living a fulfilled life after that crisis. But... 
but f- it can't be a living in the same way as before. It's a it's a living that re- realizes there's an extra moral aspect to existence, um, from which we have to we have to accept. One of the challenges for from the Book of Job, in particular, is that his colleagues throughout the book mm-hmm. say you've done something wrong, you've done something wrong, and and he's quite adamant that he hasn't. That's right. And as you said, when God speaks at the end and says, you can't conceive of me, I can understand how that would go back to the master-slave mentality. But actually, for me, it's quite a liberating text because um, it says you can't define God. Yes. But if you can't define God, which which makes sense if God is other, then... um, then when we're talking about God being dead, mm-hmm. can't we just say God evolves or our understanding of God evolves? And what that means is our our society evolves with our evolving understanding of God. So it's not that God died uh, or the mentality of the authoritarian religious structure died and then we transcended it in a great religious revolution, but rather that we as we came to experience more things, we learned more about God and more about ourselves. I think that's. I think there's a kernel to Nietzsche in that, um, which is to say that um, the death of God for Nietzsche does not mean that we um, shouldn't come up with a new order with a new God, and that which, which would, in, from your vantage point, would be an evolving understanding of God. What Nietzsche is arguing in the death of God is that we actually haven't replaced it with anything. We are actually in a state of nihilism. And that that's actually going to undermine all everything and we will be in a desperate situation in that way. The only thing that's keeping us comfortable, he would argue, in this state of nihilism is that we prefer hedonism. But hedonism is not a god right. to order our world. It's, a, it's, it's simply uh, an acceptance of a comfortable form of nihilism. There's no guarantee that the comfortable form of nihilism always will persist. So then what's, what's the way out of that crisis? Yeah, what's the way for us as a civilization, uh, according to Nietzsche, yeah. to – I mean you've mentioned before about the organizing around a goal. Who determines that goal? How right. do we – I mean how do we even express it when we have so many differing faiths, beliefs, perspectives on the world? Right. Um, you know, society seems politically more divided now than, than in a very long time. That's right. How could we possibly come together and create a goal and – and who starts that process? Yeah, well, so this is this gets uh, uh, fraught f- for all of us who are, uh, you know, moderate human beings. Nietzsche, in his later works, argues there's going to have to be centuries of wars to determine the new authority, and that it's actually going to be a very bloody crisis. That sounds like, but that goes back to the will to power being right. that that that. Uh, almost might is right, isn't it? Yeah, although he, he again wants to say that um, uh, that is the battle of ideas and not just might is right, that it would be the most compelling idea, which is the, uh, which is the one that wins. So he uses bloody and might is right metaphors. What it would end up looking like is probably a mixture from his vantage point of, of an ideological war which people in the 20th century certainly saw between modern democratic society and, let's say, communism um, and and actual bloody wars. This has been really quite a wonderful exploration for me in particular uh, to learn more about Nietzsche. And and I really want to thank you um, because this has been uh, illuminating. I do hope that you'll be able to return and uh, for one of our future shows to maybe um, help shed some uh, 
more answers from Nietzsche's perspective. Great. Be happy to. So uh, thank you. Uh, you've been listening to our guest, Ned Wolpen from St. John's College. Um, um, you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we re- return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.